Hey, Roll welcome it. to the Professional Insight Podcast. My name's Brandon Curry. Thank you very much I'm for listening, Rowan. sharing. I'm not done yet. I'm saying thank you very much to Why our sponsors. Why did you say your name then? You said I it too just, quick. I said my name's You're Brandon up. Curry, and thank you very much for listening, sharing, and caring. Uh, for tuning in, uh, thank you to our sponsors, Brand Boulevard, for um, uh, for sponsoring our swag and, and, and in our fourth season, technically. Thank you very much. Uh, if you just tuned in right now, uh, you probably just heard about Jeff Collins uh, winsing about how poor he is. So anyways, I'll move on to the intros. I'm Brandon Curry again. I'm Jeff Collins again. I'm still Josh Vaughn. And Trevor Lindy. <laughs> yep. We'll tell you that uh, at the end again in case you missed it. What? <laughs> I can't. I, I keep Oh boy, here we go. Okay, so um, if you can kind of keep on topic this time, Collins, that'd be great. Um, Want to know? It's not the Jeff Collins show; it's the Professional Insight show. Um, Some might say, uh, "Here's like the, the Curry show." No, no, I like. I, I, <laughs> I let you guys, you guys, you guys, ta- you guys talked about for 15 minutes and a half. It was winsing about lumber prices the last time. Probably we said okay. anything about lumber prices last time. Well, you, you did leading in. So there the you end. go. Yeah. Okay. We I got a question. I got a question. I got a question from another that. listener. Jeff. Temtoi. I got another See, question. See, I the questions. They must love hearing me talk. It's beautiful. Mm-hmm. Anyway. That's a nice hoodie, Jeff. Yeah, thanks, Jeff. Thanks for the hoodie. Sure is. <laughs> uh, Can't wait to get mine. All right. This is what so, with our entire profits this year. Yeah. So, the, here's here's the situation. Ready? Uh, real estate and demand is through the roof right now, as you know, because you're also a realtor. And then uh, Bondo, as you know, you're doing all these deals right now. I think you got like 27 this week that are closing. Uh, yeah. We're in June okay. June of 2021. And uh, Lindy, you're putting through all, all all the approvals for that. Now, at what point you're buying an existing house, or we, we touched on the last episode buying buying an empty land or whatever the case may be? Um, like let's say on the plan there are you know it's not done, it's not a done subdivision, or it's in the process because you you know Jeff, you get that quite a bit. You know, you build a house and, you know, it takes you a couple of years to finish off a subdivision. And then in that meantime, some people flip and sell. Uh, Lindy, you tell me this all the time. Usually it's, you know, three to five within three years. Three years is the average for a mortgage to be broken. So, months. so I'm curious as to, let's say there's sidewalks and they haven't been built yet. Or what, what like, what disclosures do the realtors have to make to the potential buyers and to the realtors that are representing the purchasers? Who you asking? Jeff, you're the realtor. Well, you complained I talked so much last time. I don't know you want me to oh ask the first God. question again. God. <laughs> so oh. you should, any, any latent defect you have to disclose, but I'm not sure what you want them to do. Like, this, a lot of times it depends on the subdivision. Sometimes the, the sidewalks are already in. Sometimes yeah. they haven't begun yet. You know, like we bought a subdivision where the, the municipality has already taken over it, but and then all the roads got destroyed. And so whose responsibility is that? Because there's not really a developer anymore. So it's interesting. We're, we're about to become a developer on one. And before we can sell any lots off, we'll have to have the sidewalks and curbs in there. We'll have to have all the – the developers also were responsible for, like, Bell – your phone lines, your cable, your you know, like your satellite, your fiber, and all that stuff. 
your water, your sewer, you know, your gas lines, they have to get them all in there. And so basically all you have to do is dig after that. So, and then they have to do the final coat of asphalt. So if you ever drive by and you see the curbs and there's about an inch between the top of the curb and the bottom, that means they haven't done the final coat on it. If it's all the way level, that means it's basically been passed off already, which is weird because in Dane City, that's already been done and none of the construction has taken place yet. So we'll find out if we get a big fat bill from the city at the end of it, because when you when you apply for a permit, part of the process is a road occupancy permit. So if there's any damage on the road or the curbs or the sidewalk, the person who was building on that lot's responsible for it after, which would be the builder. So, so, what, but, so let's say in. let's look work at look at the ladder. Someone's coming down from Toronto. There's a huge lot of people from Toronto and Hamilton and Burlington buying in Niagara right now, and they're buying you know you know sometimes houses that have already been done or whatever the case may be. So what, what is and let's say the sidewalks haven't been put in yet, right? And, you know, and and there's a deposit because I know builders have to lay a deposit down for sidewalks to make sure that either you put them in or we're going to put them in and we're going to charge you for them. One of those things. What what is the requirement that if you're buying a house with no sidewalks that the realtor selling has to disclose that to the buyer? Well, they should know ahead of time if sidewalks will be coming or not. If if they're if they're doing their due diligence on it. Not not, every, also, not everyone does that though. So but this also comes back to the fact that how many listings now are buyers buyers beware, buyers do your own due diligence. Right? You know, the listing agent is pushing that back onto the buyer's agent, pushing it onto the clients. Well, I, mean, I think the biggest problem is it's it's kind of a it's it's a, the environment that everybody's into right now. The buyers know they have to go with condi- without conditions. They they almost expect it, which they don't have to. You can always put a condition in, but the problem is when you miss out on two or three or four properties or houses that you didn't get because you had a due diligence condition on it, they just naturally want to go without that. Which is you know it's tough because it's such an extreme market and you shouldn't. Like I've got three deals done in the last little while that all had due diligence available on it. Right. So it just depends on how they list it. The biggest problem right now is there's a lot of agents that aren't from the region who are listing down here and they underlist purposely to eliminate conditions. And if you want to aggressively list a price below market value, get any conditions on it whatsoever. And, and they're specifically doing that. And I personally believe that they should step in. Like you see people list. Have you guys ever seen one where it's listed for a dollar? Yes. No. Yeah, yes, I did. There's, there's this property worth of a dollar, and they're basically saying, "Here, you take a guess where you think it is." So they're hoping the agent just shoots high and gets it. And if they don't, they just don't accept any offer. And I always get the same question: Well, what if I gave them a dollar in their exact closing date? No, like any contract's got all kinds of different things that are in and variables. They don't have to accept nothing. So you'll see that that's a common tactic right now. The most huh. common tactic, and I've, I've used it myself to try to get max dollar for some people. If you got a house that you think is properly marketed value at 700,000 or a lot, doesn't matter what it is, any kind of property, and you think it should be $700,000, the tendency is to drop it down to 625 or 650, and people think it's a great deal. So at that point, they're gonna get potentially, and this has happened commonly, 10 to 20 offers. We've even heard of 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 offers in Niagara region at houses priced like that. And so, what you do is, as the listing agent, you've got the 20 offers there. You take the 12 of them that have a condition, and you basically throw them in the garbage. Okay? And then you take the eight, 
And usually the highest price one there with a big deposit. We're all trained now to have a big deposit because that kind of protects your 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 seller. And then whoever has that wins. And then you find out after what's going on. But what a lot of listing agents don't understand that if you have a latent defect that you knew about there and you're trying to hide it on there, and you say do your own due diligence, that listing agent's still responsible or the seller. Because the, the agent could say, Well, the seller never told me. But if the seller said the agent never asked me, liability lies on, on the agent, right? And that's why we have insurance and all this stuff. So there's a lot of stuff that's going to come out of here that's going to get really ugly really quick. But let's so, be honest. Like that Josh's due diligence per- stuff is gone. Josh, from your perspective, though, because I, I had it come up before for a latent defect. Yeah. Prove it. Right? Yeah, yeah, that's that's yeah, you bear you bear the burden of proving that there's a it's either a patent or a latent defect in the property, right? Something that they yes. so, I'll, I'll give you an example of that. I sold the house and my guy had it for one year. The market went way up. He sold it a year later and he made a hundred thousand off of it. So he had it for basically 13 months. The new buyer came in there and immediately that spring his house flooded in the basement. Okay. And they came right after us with a lawyer letter and said that it flooded and you knew that it was wet down there. I said, we absolutely didn't know. We lived there one year. We had no idea. So the lawyer is going to say, go get professional um, uh, estimates of how to fix it and all that. We'll look into it. So they looked into it. They pulled the drywall off and the drywall had dates on it. So the, the agent pulled me up and said, ha ha, you're screwed. We've got dates on there. We know you knew about it. I said, oh yeah, what's the date? Told me the date. It was before we even took possession. So it wasn't my seller. It was the previous seller. Yeah. And he kind of kicked himself in the ass by showing us that. But there was, the, you know, it, the burden of proof didn't lie with us. It lied with the previous seller because potentially they went after them. I don't know. Had nothing to do with us. But that's a way you can prove stuff. So if there's a paper trail anywhere that a lawyer can find. So if you had a um, your your sewer where it backloaded and then they had to have Roto-Rooter come there every year to get rid of roots that kind of went through the plumbing. And there's proof of that, that seller's screwed. That's yeah. a latent defect right there. If you got an estimate on a flooded basement, a black mold in your attic, and you can find the proof of that, that person's screwed. Otherwise, it's he said versus she said, you know? So, so it is a difficult thing to prove. All right. So here's the but so but with with when you're dealing with municipality stuff like driveways and you know uh <clears throat> encroaching on the 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 municipal uh, lot right I mean, the, the, the municipal side of things um yeah. like i i know that i i waited because uh i wanted to make sure like for the longest time our builder was taking their time not putting in sidewalks and then finally we got approval that it wasn't going on our side so i put in the driveway but the the initially like the someone at the city basically told me well before you put it because a couple people on the street put in sidewalk uh, uh, driveways and they're like, did they check with the city? Yeah, too bad, so sad. That's not our problem. They, you should have checked with the city prior to putting in a driveway. Um, you know, th- because uh, at, from the water meter down to the road is essentially the city's property, and they can do whatever the heck they want with it. It does not matter. Um, and if they have to put in sidewalks, they can do whatever the heck they want. Am I correct? Um, y- they can come right well, through. You, you don't. You don't own. There's a... Um... Every, almost every property has a boulevard in front of it. A lot of people don't yes, realize that. That's right? correct. But that's what you're alluding to. The boulevard. Just because there's a sidewalk on one side of the road, the other side of the road, you still don't, you just don't have longer lots. Correct. It's, correct. The city owns, 
usually I think 33 feet or something like that in the, on either side of the, the, the road. And right? what happens if it's a curved, is it still 33 feet from the curb? Like if it's no. a curb? What, and don't quote me on the 33 feet. It doesn't that, matter. I mean, right? Just it's, a standard road allowance is 66 feet, I think. So I, I, in my head, they double it up and they get a little bit of extra, but I, I, I'm just... So let's say it's thirty feet. Let, let's just say it's thirty feet. So my sure. my lots and my lots are my lots a rectangle. Yeah. So it's pretty straightforward. Thirty yeah. thirty feet. Okay, yeah. easy. Yeah. But what happens if you're a corner lot and you circle around? We have a couple of those in my in my neighborhood. Where yeah. is it thirty feet from the corner of the corner lot? Like, how do they figure out where the sidewalk goes? Um, it's usually always from the road, right? So it is so from the road. So it's proportionate. Usually proportionate. Usually. So it's 30, again, it so can, it's 30 feet. It's like it's you'll do different points all the way through. Yeah. And then that's how you figure out the curve of the sidewalk. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Usually, right? And again, that's all usually that's standard practice. Again, engineering, gotta submit it to the city. You know what I mean? They approve. When you're subdividing all these lands. Okay. Yes, there's you're you're reserving this for your street and this much of a buffer here. Yes, right. So all of that, all those details are kind of ironed out in the drafting or the signing of the subdivision agreement, or most of them, anyways. Right. Um. You have uh, any more comments on that, Jeff? At all? I. I you guys are. I'm just checking my internet. Nope. There he goes. You're the choppy one there, Jeff. Yep, he's outside because <clears throat> he was yelling. Yep. So basically, the 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 the, the key for it, again, do your due diligence. Figure out what you can and cannot do. Um, it's amazing that I've I've ran into clients who have bought property and have found that the previous owners have just went ahead and built a built a shed, yep. and the shed's not compliant. It's, it doesn't meet code. And then the next thing you know, they they try to go put in something, and it's uh, you got the bylaw officers turning around and saying that they can't do this or can't do that. They got to tear down the shed, and that that was never them, right? Yep. Yeah. I'm so sure what happens a lot of times, and that's a different episode in and all of itself. But on a residential property, we don't we don't we don't search for for zoning or this and that. We and we definitely don't search for whether there's encroachments, right? Right. It, it doesn't. It's that's not. Why you buy title insurance? That's why you buy title insurance nowadays. It's not based on the survey anymore, right? For the most part, it's not a lawyer's opinion on title that's driven from a survey that's driven from the municipality. It's mm -hmm. title insure based, right? So something like that, if it's a movable structure then you're responsible for it, right? If it's one of those, you know, every municipality is a little bit different, but 10 by 10 utility shed in the corner of the lot, and that's encroaching the eave or something's encroaching on the neighbor's property, well, the owner's responsible for that. Now, if it's your garage and it's a permanent structure and that's encroaching on the neighbor's property, that's when you loop in your title insurer. Right. Okay. Um, so, yeah, anything else to add? Oh, yeah. All right. Yeah, I think you're back now, Jeff. Um, anything else to add to that, Jeff? Gone now. I don't, uh... 
I'm here. Trevor's gone now. No, Tre- Trevor's just quiet. Yes. Like no, yeah, no, don't geez, confuse the two. Gone. That's another thing I, I, I wouldn't mind bringing up when you talk about um, surveys and all that. Like, as a builder, we give a grading plan at the end where there's no survey we include. We actually give a grading plan, not a survey. And everyone thinks you get a survey. No, if you want a survey, go buy your own survey. Yeah. But the grading plan comes with it. And it kind of, it's almost like the survey. It shows you where the building is and your lots and all that. But a survey is actually going to pin it out with everything like that. And that's not necessarily included. But when you're doing the grading at the end of the, the plan, before you get your grading deposit back, they typically will put like they will pin it so that you'll know where your 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 uh, your lot lines are. And, and one of the ones we have closing next Wednesday, we have to get the neighbors behind us to pull their fence down because they stole about three feet of our backyard. And in order to properly grade it, so not only is the fence over there, but if we want to get our grading deposit back, we have to have it graded properly on the other side of the swale in order to get that back. So I had to go knock on the door and say, and they were like, yeah, we knew. But well, can you move your fence? You know, so and as well, can you do it for us? We're like, no, you know, like so. It's one of those we things. Knew. But it's one of those fun things when you're building at the very end of it. Did you say they responded to you saying they knew that they built it on the neighbor's property? No, no, they didn't know they they didn't build it there, but they knew when they took possession it wasn't there. It like it was in the wrong spot. Like you can usually find stakes out there for people's property. And they saw the one stake, and they said, well, no one lived behind there, so they just left it. And uh, now we get to deal with it. Got it. There's so much past Some of the, the fun that happens that's, that's, grading, that's why there's a grading deposit, right? Because you don't get it back, and that's why when, when someone buys from us, they have to give $2,000 grading deposit, and they don't get it back until the grading deposit is done because that's typically what the, the municipality will hold from us until we – sign off on final grading and final grading is very important because if it's not done properly according to you know like upper canada is a place around here that does it then you can get water in base people's basements and the problem is a lot of people will buy houses they'll have a swale at the back of the property they don't know what the swale is and they cover it up with dirt right and then also the basement's flooded you know so if you've got yep. a swale at the back of the property you know don't don't touch it you'll have to add drainage behind it you or can do it but you'll have to have a drain back there. So Dan's doing that right now at his house. If they went to see the lawyer, the lawyer should be telling them at the very least, don't change the grading or fill the swales. Yeah. And, and hopefully most agents know to say that to them too. The problem is not everybody tells that. Like I've had friends who talked to their neighbor and said, do you know why this is here? And they said, no, we don't know why. And they yes. filled it up. <laughs> the basement flooded instantly. And then really, you know, in real estate and, and law and everything, you kind of learn this through experiences because when something bad like that happens, typically your clients, you know, calling you and trying to figure it out. And then you'll remember it. So in the future, you're like, yeah, that's a swale. Don't, don't, feel that. Yeah, don't know that. <laughs> like, if you're a new agent, you might not know that right away, but you know, money's the biggest lesson typically for most people and you don't forget those. So yeah, like, what it is. like Bondo said though, right. You know, the lawyers should be, you know, if they're reviewing things, they should be the one educating you. Uh, I can honestly tell you that, you know, for my home I'm in, I did not use bond. I didn't know him at the time. And the lawyer that we used told us, oh, by the way, there's a five foot easement on the, uh, like looking at my house on the right side because of a storm drain, didn't make any, any reference to the swale that we have on the back of our property. None, none whatsoever. Now, thankfully, you know, this is what Katie does for a living. So 
we know that we can't build there, but then, you know, neighbor next door to us moves in a couple of years ago, erects a shed right on the property. Right. And it's in the swale end of the day. Fine. He's screwing but, himself. But would you even know there's a swale on a property bond when they're closing? Unless you have a grading plan, you wouldn't really be able to see that. Would you? No, you, you wouldn't, but you would always advise that there is um uh, there's especially anytime there's a subdivision agreement you'd advise you know we would generally don't touch the grading or fill any drainage swells it's See, almost I, standard. I this, this should be more on the, the agent because the agents can be the one showing them the house if they use an agent yeah and you should be walking the property and th this is another problem i have like i've had a, a new common thing is that agents will put in offers on houses without seeing the house and I yeah, had this cool. a little while ago where I listed a house and big, a big agent, I'm not going to name the name on a big agent, you know, called me up and said, yeah, my clients walked by it and we want to buy it. We're going to put an offer right now. I said, well, have you been in the house? First question. Cause I hadn't had any showings yet, you know, cause it was 24 hour showing. And I said, well, I, I won't allow an offer because I'm trying to protect that other agent more than anything, but I'm like, I won't allow an offer where you're going to put any kind of conditions on it and then, you know, potentially get out. It just ties it up for my, my client. But the problem is you need your agent who should be somewhat knowledgeable to go through your house. And if they do see a swale in the backyard, point that out, you know, like, like the, your downspouts, they unload right on the end of the house. They don't, they should have like six to eight feet away from the sides. And I'd say 70% of houses don't have that, but that's what causes water problems, grading issues. Those are big things. Like when I show clients houses, one of the most common things is they'll have their, their flower garden in the front of the house and they'll just put more mulch on it every year, more mulch every year. And then the mulch is then higher than the concrete, the poor concrete foundation. And right above that's where you have your sill plates with the wood, which is your framing for your main floor. And then they have little weeper tiles, like right where the bricks are. You can almost see it at the bottom of my bricks back there. And they're holes for the water to go on the bricks. And then they come all the way out the bricks and they pour out the bottom. It's for drainage. But if you have these weeper tiles and then your 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 mulch is up there and then the snow goes on it and it melts, it sucks right into the wood, and then you get all this wood rot, and then you can get mold and all that stuff. And that's something, you know, an agent like I learned that through experiences, and that's something I didn't know first year and like that, but going through inspections, you can get that. So then you get the potential where you're taking off some of the drywall and it's all black mold under there. It's something by just the first glance you can point out to people, you know, and that's uh, like I think more onus needs to be on some of the agents who are showing this house to enlighten them on things that could potentially be problems, right? Yeah. And that's the issue. It doesn't happen. Blind offers are ridiculous. Like, how how is that even legal as, as far as you're an agent? How do you represent your client's best interest if you haven't set eyes on that property? But this is also why we need the government to implement mandatory condition periods, mandatory due diligence. The government needs to step in because as long as we have the wild, wild west here and people allowed to do whatever they want and just no conditions bid higher, we're going to continue to see these types of things. See, right? In my mind, everyone says, and I hear this all the time, you're an agent. You must be loving it right now. You know, you're making money hand over fist. You know what? If you're a listing agent right now, you're doing very good. It's not that hard to sell a listing agent. It's this extreme seller's market. But when you're in an extreme seller's market as a buying agent, you're doing nothing. You're getting you're getting beat out. 10, no, you're doing lots, getting nothing. Know, not you're, <laughs> yeah, you're, you're doing just a lot, getting nothing. Spinning your wheels, doing nothing, getting nowhere. You're frustrating clients and all that stuff in there. 
And, and in my mind, if the if the industry or RICO or, or the Ontario Real Estate Association, you know, they're the governing body for realtors here. I, I think two changes, and, and you know, I'm going to throw myself out there, whatever. It's not clickbait. These are my opinion for it. And I'll, I'll strictly say it's my opinion, not Royal Page's opinion. I think a mandatory minimum one-week due diligence period would protect a lot of clients, you know, because right now, all first-time buyers have no chance. Yeah. Because if it's their first-time buyer thing, which is three hundred thousand and below, you've got flippers out there and investors who are buying that with cash credit. They don't even need a mortgage. Boom. Boom. You know, so there's no chance of getting financing for them, which they should have because they should be getting approved on the house as well as that. The second thing I don't like, and I think this is my opinion on it, you should have um, a central place where you're allowed to do real estate from. So say Welland's mine, and then I could go, let's say. 50 to 75 kilometers out from the center of Welland. That's my territory. Okay. The problem we have now, and I used to do when I was, when I was a new agent, I desperate for a sale. Somebody want to look at a house in Toronto, boom, I'd fly all the way up there and I'll just put it down, but I'm not advising my client good, you know? So being a builder now, I, I own a lot of the inventory, you know? So people are calling me for inventory. So a lot of GTA agents have enough time. will drive all the way down here with their clients. The problem is, they come down, they don't want to come a second time. It's too far of a drive. But what do they do when they come down here? What's the city like? What's this area like? Who's this builder? How's this agent? Is this a good place to live? You're, you're not advising your client whatsoever good. No, right? right. You don't know so the area. So if you put some kind of a circumference of how far you can go out there, you know, it, it would stop all these agents coming down here who don't know the market value, who are used to $1.5 million for a thousand square foot bungalow that's 60 years old and coming down here and throwing a hundred grand over like it's nothing on it. It's killing the market. Like I'm all for raising values on it, but, but at a steady rate, not like, like it is right now, it's, it's unsustainable. You know, it could have issues with mortgages and defaults and all that stuff. Like we're still predicting the market to consistently go up for the next little while, but this is how you create bubbles for that. So you put in some realistic parameters, most agents I know that do this full time would prefer a balanced market to an extreme seller's market, or extreme buyer's market. Right. That doesn't really benefit anyone. But the problem is you've got all these agents coming down that don't know the area that are just throwing in prices that don't know the market prices of it. And they're just guessing. And then you've got new agents coming in the business too. And they get eaten by the old agents. You know, it's a tough business to get into. Oh, yeah. They put your holsters away and all that. You say, yeah, that's the price. You're not going to get lower than that. Boom, they give it to you. But But when you're listing a house, you do a comparative market analysis. It's very common. Most agents will do that. Not all, but most will. But when you're buying a house, you should also do a comparative market analysis to see if you're overpaying for the house. These agents from out of town cannot do that because they don't have access to our listings. Okay? So they have to ask us for, for a CMA. They, they can join the board. They got to pay maybe a 1000 bucks a year. Not the end of the world. What mm -hmm. commission pays for? They don't want to do it typically, right? But but if you're properly advising your client, when you're buying, you do a CMA. And if it's or if it's not, you can tell them a lot of times the people, the buyers don't care as long as you give them that information. So you want to slow down the market? That's my two. I think Trevor, great idea. One week due diligence, mandatory on any any house, which people are still gonna find ways to skirt around that, whatever say, well, we don't have any conditions, we'll hold it there in like that. I can see issues with that. But I think the bigger problem is you've got every agent in the world coming down from three hours away. I had an agent the other day call me. Yeah, I'm coming down two and a half hours away. So if it sells, can you please let me know? I don't want to waste my drive. He's coming down just for my listing. That's crazy. Right. It's insane. Sorry, rant over. To be continued.
I, again, it's it's something that needs to be talked about because this is what I don't understand. Us as industry professionals are having conversations, and most of us can agree something needs to give here. Something's got to change. But our government goes, and here will be a segue to another episode if you'd like. There, Curry, um, the government goes and decides, hey. We're going to change the stress test. We're going to make it a little bit harder. This is how we're going to combat the housing crisis, the housing bubble that we're in. Yep. Right? It's not doing well. That <laughs> will be the next episode. Actually, that was my that was my next move. So, um, thanks very much, guys. Chest over here. We really, we really, pre- we really appreciate uh, you guys all <laughs> listening and uh, sharing and caring. Please keep the uh, the questions coming in. Bondo, you want to take us out? Help us. Help you stay informed. The Podcast Super Friends is a monthly meeting of five podcast producers. Hi, I'm Catherine O'Brien from Branch Out Programs in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I'm John Gay from Jagged Detroit Podcasts. I'm Matt Kundal from the Sound Off Podcast Network. I'm David Yes from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. And I'm Johnny Peterson from Straight Up Podcasts. Together, they form the Podcast Super Friends, an alliance of podcast masterminds sharing best practices, insights, and discussions to help make you a better podcaster. Follow or subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or at soundoff.network. Do, did, will, the Story of People podcast is now available on the Cryer Media Network. The first five episodes are here and feature some incredible guests that fit into one or all three of those categories. Ready? Tara Sloan from the San Jose Sharks Undercurrent Podcast at NBC Sports. Marianne Iveson from Iveson Voice and the Let's Take This Outside podcast to talk about the world of outdoors as well as voiceover land. Ariana Hunsicker, future Canadian Paralympic swimmer, already winning tons of awards for this country. Scott McGregor from the Hot Wallet podcast to dumb down the world of crypto, Bitcoin, and NFTs so you don't have to. And Jackie Holawati from Climate Pledge Arena in Seattle, Washington, the first net zero carbon certified arena on the planet. Wherever you get your pods, wherever you watch your pods, and on the Cryer Media Network. Produced by Cryer Media and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company.